five, four, three, two, one. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Here we go. It's game time. Amazing. Welcome to Sports and More, where almost anything goes. Coming to you from the marsh just outside of Edmonton, Alberta, here's your host, Dean Millard. That's one small step for man. Nice to be in orbit. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Thank you so much for downloading and being a part of the inaugural Sports and More podcast. My name is Dean Millard, and I'm really happy to be back talking to uh, people again on uh, some sort of broadcast on this podcast. Uh, if you uh, if you don't know who I am, uh, and thanks very much for stopping by if you don't, but uh, I have been in broadcasting for over 22 years used to work in television uh, from uh, Brandon to Red Deer to Regina to, to Edmonton, where I now live, just outside of Edmonton. I also worked in radio uh, at uh, TSN 1260 most recently and uh, hosted a show called Sports Night. Unfortunately, uh, cutbacks happen in broadcasting, and uh, listen, there has been many uh, really fine people, unfortunately, uh, be in the situation I found myself in, where cutbacks meant uh, the show was canceled or the job was eliminated, and so I found myself wondering what to do. And after some shock, obviously, um, I uh, decided I was going to keep going and do this. And hopefully we'll have some fun along the way. So this is called Sports and More. And, and that's really what I want it to be. There's going to be a pretty heavy focus on sports. But I want to branch out into other things, whether that's movies, books, music. Uh, and it, the only thing we won't touch Politics and religion. We'll, we'll stay away from those two, but pretty much almost anything goes. On the show today, before I tell you everything else about it, we are going to hear from an NHL general manager, also an owner of a junior team in the CHL, Kelly McCrimmon, a man I've known for a lot of years, uh, going back to when uh, we used to billet Week King players. So Kelly McCrimmon is going to join us, and we're going to talk about his journey to where he is now. And th there's a, a really interesting story about how farming almost prevented a really good uh, career as a head coach and GM. So we'll talk about that. And hey, listen, uh, for Oilers fans, we talked to him about how close he might have come to becoming uh, the Oilers GM, or, or uh, not really how close, but you know, was there any kind of conversation, what the process was like in him becoming the GM in Vegas. So a lot of uh, fun stuff coming up with Kelly McCrimmon and Olivia Chang, uh, a woman that is uh, a former colleague of mine. First worked with her at RDTV in Red Deer and then here in uh, Global Edmonton. She's an Edmonton-born actor. She is uh, currently starring in Warrior, which is on Cinemax. It's a brilliant show, actually conceived 50 years ago by Bruce Lee. And it's about uh, the late 1800s, and the uh, immigration, Chinese immigration into San Francisco in that world. It's a great, great show. Uh, if you love martial arts, there is some fantastic uh, martial arts choreography and uh, good storylines and characters as well. So we're going to talk to Olivia about her journey as well. You know, as, uh, you know, being involved in this project, uh, some of the other ones she's been involved with, um, you know, nudity and your parents watching. Uh, we'll discuss that. And, and listen, I will say, 
Uh, you know, the, the nudity scenes are beautiful, but it is a little different watching somebody on the screen that you know naked or half naked or whatever the case may be. We'll, we'll let you uh, hear uh, some of the good responses from Olivia in just a little bit. And we will uh, also along the way do a few things. Uh, we'll throw out the uh, Myron French question of the day and our uh, top three question. We're going to have best or worst. Uh, today it's best, and that'll just be a thing where I uh, tell you the best of something that I've done or experienced or, or been a part of, or the worst, depending on a, a Twitter vote. We're going to celebrate every week great John Candy characters, and we're going back to his SCTV days for this one. We'll have cool of the week, which is just something that I've discovered lately uh, that I'll tell you about that I think is pretty cool. And uh, we'll discuss what is on our obscenely rich list, and uh, we'll uh, discuss that a little bit later on. Um, before we get into a couple of things, uh, I'll give you the Myron French question of the day, is how did you get fired? Um, I'm going to tell my story, and by no means am I uh, a, a bit telling it in bitterness. I'm telling it in a uh, what I think is a very comedic way. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I listen. Cutbacks happen. I bear no ill will towards uh, my former colleagues. I'm still really good friends and, and hope to have a lot of them on this uh, show as we go on. So I will tell you how I got fired in what I think is a, is a kind of a comedic way. And our top three is top three Consmite candidates. So I'll tell you my top three and get uh, some of our uh, Twitter followers their top three as well. Uh, so uh, feel free if you want to get involved. Uh, even after this show is aired, maybe we'll read some of these on uh, next week's show, which would be on Monday, uh, how you got fired. And uh, you could be anonymous if you want. Uh, and, and we're not trying to disparage anybody because, listen, getting fired sucks. Having to fire somebody, I think, would be really, really hard because for the most part, you build up positive relationships with these people. And unless the guy was a total jerk, and then, then in that case, maybe it's a, it's a, uh, release uh, relief to be able to uh, fire them so if you if you want to text it in or email us it's a sports and more pod at gmail.com so let's uh, talk a little bit about the stanley cup playoffs uh, amazingly a uh, large gap of time between the uh, quarter for western conference and final and the stanley cup final starting on monday but you have the bruins and the blues and what it's it's interesting when you look at the last two western conference representatives in the Stanley Cup final. One was an expansion team, expansion team rather, and we'll talk with Kelly McCrimmon a, a little bit about that. And two, a team that fired their coach and was dead last in the NHL on January 3rd and have gone on this incredible story. And, and I don't think there were many people out there that didn't look at the St. Louis Blues roster in the offseason and think this is going to be a good team. I don't think anybody thought they would be dead last, and I don't think anybody thought they would rebound the way they have been, but I think people expected them to be in the mix uh, for a top seed in the playoffs. And, and, and you know, with their offseasons, if things go well, maybe they could make a really good run. And here they are in the Stanley Cup final. A rematch, of course, of that famous Bobby Orr picture where he's flying through the air after scoring in overtime. Uh, so it was the Bruins and Blues back then. It's the Bruins and Blues now starting on Monday. And listen, I, I, I'm i pulling for the Blues. Uh, when when the Oilers traded Andy Moog, who was my favorite goalie of all time, to Boston, I became a Bruins fan. And, and I just followed Moog everywhere. Um, so he was Edmonton, Boston, Dallas, Montreal. And I kind of kid that I was a Montreal Canadiens fan to the end because that was his last team. But 
I, I, you know, I, I like the Bruins. I like, uh, you know, I, I, I think despite his weird antics, Brad Marchant is a fascinating player, and everybody would love to have that guy on their team. So I like both teams. Seabaz in the press box, you got to like that. Um, but uh, you know, I love for the Blues because I hear it's a great market. They have great fans. You know, they came in in the expansion and they had the expansion division. As my good friend Low Tide from TSN 1260 was uh, schooling me on one day in the hallway. Well, no, it was an expansion division. So one of the team was going to get to the finals and the Blues went there a bunch. But I would love to see the Blues uh, get to the, uh, st- raise the Stanley Cup. Uh, but hopefully it's a, it's just a good seven-game series. That's what I'm cheering for the most is uh, seven games. All right, uh, we're going to have a lot of fun on this show, but I do want to get a little bit serious right now. Uh, there is a situation going on in high level uh, where the wildfires are, uh, are, are have really been a problem. And this is something that's very close to me because my wife, Trish uh, Fedeco, is from High Level. She grew up there. Uh, I've been there once. I love the area. I, I just love isolated areas, and, and it's very isolated. Uh, but I just, I, you know, I love sitting down with uh, her family and hearing great stories about when they grew up in High Level. And it's sad to see, uh, you know, uh, people from Slave Lake and Fort McMurray will know exactly what they're going through. Uh, so if you do want to get involved, and I and I stress that you should, uh, donations can be made to Red Cross, uh, uh, food banks of Alberta, you can help out. And the Edmonton Eskimos are doing their part. Uh, there will be free football for evacuees on Sunday. They have an exhibition game on Sunday. So if you're from that area and you've been evacuated, get in touch with the Edmonton Eskimos, and you could go watch some football. You know what? Take your mind off something for even a half an hour, you know, if, if that's all you can do. So... To the people high level, we are thinking about you, and uh, help is uh, on the way. And uh, you know, at some point, things will uh, you know get back to some sort of normalcy. Uh, sometimes you can't replace things, but uh, you know, if you look at Slave Lake and if you look at Fort McMurray and uh, you look at how everybody responds, uh, the whole province of the country will be behind you. All right. So the Myron French question of the day now. How did you get fired? So this is uh, my story. And again, I reiterate, I say this in uh, trying to be comedic. I I don't mean any ill will against my uh, ex-employer, TSN 1260. I just found after thinking about how everything went down, this is just kind of a a comedic spin and maybe a way of dealing with how how terrible it was to to tell you that uh, your job is no longer uh, available to you. Business happens, cutbacks happen, broadcasting, you know, look at uh, some cities in the, in the United States with the cutbacks and it sucks, but you know, maybe you can look at it with a, a comedic light and uh, you can, uh, um, deal with it a bit easier. So how did I get fired? Uh, I, I, my, I compared my, uh, uh, laying off, I guess I should say to Joe Pesci in Goodfellas when he's going in to get made. And, you know, everybody's celebrating, opens the door, walks in, thinks he's getting made. And he gets whacked. Mine obviously wasn't as as, as severe as that and uh, with the consequences of losing your life. But I went in for something what we call an air check, which is just like, a a, you know, we listen to your show and uh, you uh, go uh, through things and and help improve. Uh, Got there, uh, was said, oh, so-and-so wants to talk to us walk in the room, see the HR people and uh, the, the, the main person at the station. And I had my Joe Pesci moment, like, uh-oh. And, uh, you know, it happened for me. Uh, again, not as severe. And I, 
like I said, I don't mean any uh, ill will to Mike because they're just doing their job, right? They're being told by somebody that uh, things have to happen. But it felt like that because you're going in thinking one thing and then the exact opposite thing happens. Uh, the, you know, Joe Pesci, me. So, uh, yeah, I was, I felt like a character in Goodfellas for uh, just a moment. And, and uh, like I said, it was, it was rough for a few days. And, and anybody out there that's been through something like that knows what a shock it can be. Um, and it sucks, but there are more important things than a job. And there are other ways to get around it. So I, I appreciate the time I had with uh, a TSN 1260. I had so much fun with everybody at the station. I, like I, I said at one point, I loved everybody I worked with. You know, sometimes, you know, when I was in television, there might be a camera guy or an editor or so-and-so or another uh, reporter anchor that you maybe don't get along with. At, my, at that station, I got along with everybody. I loved it. It was great. My time there was so much fun. And uh, I wish them all the uh, the best. And like I said, I hope to have some uh, guys on the show. But uh, that was my story of uh, how I was fired slash laid off. All right, we'll do a little top three now. And uh, like I said before, we're doing uh, Con Smythe candidates, uh, going back to the Blues and the Bruins. Uh, my good friend, Guy Flaming from the Pipeline Show, another great podcast that you should be listening to and a show that I helped launch with him. And uh, we'll get Guy on this show for sure. Uh, his top three for uh, the Con Smythe, I love this, uh, Tuka Rask, Jordan Binnington, and Gritty. Gritty making an appearance in uh, the show already. I love the two goalies. He knew, that's that's just buttering me up though. He would uh, he knew he would get on the show just by uh, throwing out a couple of goalies. And uh, Kevin, Klaus, um, Patrick Maroon, Jordan Binnington, Brad Marchand. Maroon, the sentimental pick for sure. And listen, if the Blues win the Cup, there there will be no better story than the big rig, little rig celebration. As I tweeted out the other day, Fidakes, my wife, is tearing up already at the thought of uh, the big rig, little rig celebration. Uh, but uh, it's probably not going to happen that Patrick Maroon is going to win the Conn Smythe. Uh, seven points is not going to get it done. Uh, Bennington and Marchand, though, are definite candidates to get into uh, the Conn Smythe running. So there's a couple of responses. And, and like I said, I will be uh, promoting this a lot more on social media. You can uh, join the uh, Sports & More Facebook page uh, just by searching uh, Sports & More and uh, follow at Duck Millard for updates right now and we'll be updating that as we go. But here is my top three Smythe candidates. Uh, number three, I'm going with the rat Brad Marchand. Listen, you can hate him all you want and, and a lot of people do, but the guy has 18 points in 17 games. Uh, only Logan Couture has more points, and that will change uh, maybe within the first five minutes of game one. Who knows? Seven goals, 11 assists for Brad Marchand, 10 penalty minutes, which is not bad for 17 games for a guy as irritating as that. Uh, ha more than half of his points have been on the power play, 10 power play points. He has two power play goals. So I'm going with Brad Marchand as uh, number three. Number two, I'm going with uh, a goaltender. You knew there would be one in there if you know anything about me. And it's Tuka Rask for sure. Uh, not that Jordan Biddington has been awful, but Tuka Rask has uh, just five losses. He has a 942 save percentage and a buck 84 goals against average. Uh, Biddington's numbers are 914 and 236. So uh, Tuka Rask also has a pair of shutouts. Um, Jordan Bennington has made some incredible saves, and I love this. Show. I don't know if you saw it, but there's a great shot of him 
nonchalantly celebrating the fact that they're going to the Stanley Cup Finals. He just like tapped the post and skated calmly out of his crease. Uh, but Tuka Rask for me is the uh, number two uh, front runner when it comes to the Conn Smythe. And number one for me, um, I'm looking right now at a Hounds of Notre Dame jersey, and uh, my front runner for the Conn Smythe is a former Notre Dame Hound, Jaden Schwartz. Cool little story about Jaden Schwartz. Uh, the World Junior 2010 in Saskatoon, he was a member of Team Canada, broke his ankle, scored a goal, and then you know left the game and wouldn't play again for the rest of the tournament. Unbelievable. Uh, Wilcox grew up in Wilcox, Saskatchewan, uh, and uh, a great hockey family. Uh, unfortunate situation, of course, with his uh, sister Mandy. But uh, Jaden Schwartz, what a story. 12 goals so far in the playoffs in 19 games. He has 16 points in total. So he's uh, he's up for the Cy Young as well as the uh, Conn Smythe, in my opinion. It's his 12 goals, one more goal than he had in 69 games this year. I think he was like a 14th overall pick in uh, his draft year. Uh, and I've always been fascinated with him, uh, whether he was uh, you know, playing, uh, like I said, at uh, Notre Dame, um, played in the uh, USHL uh, for one season, and then one year at uh, Colorado College, and then boom, uh, to the NHL. A couple of 25, 28-goal seasons, 24 two years ago, and uh, like I said, uh, this year, his goal totals were down in the regular season, but he has been dynamite in the playoffs and uh, had the Hattie the other day. So my number one is Jaden Schwartz. Uh, I think there's a good chance. I don't know if he's going to lead the playoffs in points, but he will lead the playoffs in goals, I'm pretty sure. Well, yeah, to, uh, Logan Couture had 14. He's out. Uh, Thomas Hurdle had 10. He's out. He's out, he's out. Uh, so eight would be uh, Vladimir Tarasenko. He does have a teammate, but that's four back of him. So I'm going to say Couture, uh, or Swartz rather, is going to lead the playoffs in goals. So my top three Smythe candidates, Brad Marchand three, Tukaraz two, Jaden Schwartz one. Feel free to uh, chime in on Twitter at Duck Millard or on the, the Sports and More Facebook page with your thoughts. All right, uh, I'm really excited about uh, bringing in our next guest here on Sports and More. Very pleased to welcome to the program uh, the first guest of uh, Sports and More and a a man I've known for uh, many years since we were billeting players from uh, the hockey team uh, that he was the general manager and uh, now the owner of. Kelly McCrimmon is now the GM of the Vegas Golden Knights, and uh, he joins me now. Also, uh, uh, Kelly, thank you uh, for joining me. I I also wanted to say thank you for reaching out to me when you did. Uh, Obviously, my uh, show was canceled, and I was looking at different things, and it was a, a really nice phone call to receive from you with some uh, some nice words of encouragement. So I appreciate that and you being on the show uh, today. Well, thanks, Dean. Happy uh, to be on the show with you today. And, uh, you know, as I said, when I called you, I really uh, respected uh, the passion and enthusiasm uh, that you put into your show and uh, managed to catch it on occasion. It was uh, well done, and uh, as is uh, sometimes uh, what happens in your industry, uh, changes are made for no apparent reason. So I just uh, thought that it was a, 
that a call might uh, might do you good and was happy to have had a chat with you that night. Well, it's good to chat with you now. And um, the one thing I just want to uh, get out of the way, because I know Oilers fans are going to want to know, uh, there was a lot of talk about you and the Edmonton Oilers. Obviously, that didn't happen because you're now the GM of the Vegas Golden Knights. Was there ever uh, any contact with the Oilers? Or, or, or maybe take me through the process of how this all came about, because your name did come up quite a bit here in Edmonton. Well, we uh, we had our season end on uh, on a Tuesday. We played Game Seven in San Jose, and then uh, you'll go through the end of year uh, routines that teams do with your exit meetings and meetings with coaches and that type of thing. So uh, we did that, and it would have been on the Friday uh, following our season end that uh, George uh, met with me and uh, explained that they're had been teams asked for permission to uh, speak to me, which uh, um, we discussed. And then uh, what I wasn't ready for was he uh, said that he'd been thinking about this for quite a while and that uh, uh, he would like to uh, see me remain in the Golden Knights organization as the general manager. He would move to uh, the president of hockey operations, Um, you know, obviously still uh, real involved and, We've had a real good working relationship since uh, since day one, so it was something that I was real comfortable with. And I, uh, you know, as I went through it for a few days, uh, you know, I guess first and foremost, wanting to make sure that George was sure that that's uh, what he wanted and was comfortable with, which uh, uh, you know he uh, he was. He'd talked to to his family, some people uh, in the game who uh, whose opinion he respects in terms of making that. Uh, that decision and when it came right down to it I just uh, really saw the benefits of remaining with the organization that uh, you know I've had the opportunity to uh, you know have my uh, fingerprints uh, uh, on it every step of the way right from the expansion year to the inaugural season to this past season and uh, you know that's how it came down so as uh, much respect as I have for uh, Bob Nicholson, the Oilers organization, the fact that it's a Western Canadian city, which is uh, sure where I'm from, um, you know, facilities, uh, you know, best player in the game, all of those things were uh, very appealing. Uh, you know, just felt loyalty to Bill Foley, our owner, uh, who's treated uh, treated me great, and uh, as well to George, who, uh, as I touched on, uh, have had a really good working relationship. He's a great, uh, great mentor and a great friend. And you guys have done an amazing job so far. Just two two seasons. The the general manager of the Vegas Golden Knights, Kelly McCrimmon, is our guest here on Sports and More. And uh, you mentioned earlier that your your season ended on that uh, Tuesday. And uh, you know we all know what happened in that game. I'm not going to revisit history, but I want to ask you moving forward: Do you think there could be should be video review for major penalties? Basketball does it for different fouls, and and do you think it should happen in hockey in the NHL? Well, the incident in our game notwithstanding, I guess, uh, you know, just from watching the playoffs in general, my feelings are that we don't need more video review in the regular season. In fact, I think a case could be made to support less video review in the regular season. I do, however, at playoff time, think the rules uh, should be different with respect to video review. And I use the example of the overtime goal in St. Louis where San Jose scored on a hand pass, which, uh, you know, clearly the referees don't want that to happen. They uh, are the best in the world at what they do, and yet that was a play that got missed. And, 
you know, if it was as simple as, uh, you know, reviewing any overtime goal for, you know, a puck that maybe hit the netting behind the glass, a puck that, uh, you know, was hand passed or high sticked or, you know, whatever the different uh, situations are that might occur, I think with what's at stake at that time of year, it's most important to get it right. And that's uh, out of respect to the players in the game. That's out of respect to, uh, you know, ownership, fan bases, you know, everyone that uh, is fully vested at that time of year. So that would be uh, my thoughts on it. I don't know what will uh, you know, come of some of the things that have happened in the playoffs. But, uh, you know, I, I just think that, that uh, with what's at stake at that time of year, I do believe video uh, could be used you know, probably more to everyone's advantage to uh, make sure that the right calls are made whenever possible. We're speaking with the uh, GM of the Vegas Golden Knights, Kelly McCrimmon, also uh, the owner of the Brandon Wheat Kings, uh, where, uh, you know, I, I grew up and, and watched that team through some interesting years. And, and I, I love your history. You were a Wheat King player. You were a member of the greatest regular season te- team in CHL history. Um, then you went to Michigan when I guess back when you could play in junior and then uh, go to university. Uh, then from a player, you transferred to the North Battle for North Stars as head coach and GM and to the Wheat Kings then, uh, eventually taking over as head coach, GM, and, and, and now owner. Did you know um, during your years in, in maybe in Michigan that you immediately wanted to get into a career in coaching, GM, ownership, things like that? Or how did it come about? Well, to be honest, uh um, I had a pretty clear understanding in my mind when I was at Michigan of exactly what I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, the plan at that time was to go back to our farm in Saskatchewan. Uh, uh, I was married to my wife, uh, Terry, after my sophomore year. And uh, that was the plan all along was to return to the family farm, which is exactly what we did. And then, um, you know, I think the first two years I played and coached senior hockey in, uh, in Carrobert, which, uh, I uh, really enjoyed. <clears throat> it was my first uh, opportunity, obviously, uh, to coach, which I uh, which I enjoyed. From there, I got the opportunity to go to work uh, in North Battleford, but again, it was uh, always around farming and uh, and the farm season. And it wasn't really uh, even when I came to Brandon in uh, you know I guess in 1989. Um, I still fully intended to always go back uh, to the farm. Brad and I had always uh, farmed our whole lives with uh, my dad. And uh, then in, I guess, 1992, when I had the opportunity to buy into the Wheat Kings, um, you know, that's when I uh, realized that I probably wasn't uh, ever going to go back to uh, to the farm uh, and farm actively. So that's uh, how it really uh, unfolded. It wasn't, uh, uh, it wasn't by, uh, uh, it wasn't my dream as a young guy or anything uh, like that, because it was extremely improbable, all of the good things that have happened to me uh, professionally, uh, beginning with my time here, uh, in Brandon with, uh, you know, with, uh, uh, opportunities that I was given here by Bob Cornell, who was a name that, uh, certainly mm-hmm. you would know Dean, but, yeah. uh, a guy that, uh, saw a lot of things, uh, in me that he really, uh, really believed in. And, uh, that led to the chance to buy into the team. I was, you know, 32 years old when I bought uh, a third of the team. So those are opportunities that don't come along very often for young people. Your biggest move, and, and I think maybe the biggest move in, in Weeking history, maybe, uh, Marty Murray picking him up. And, and so interesting that you will go into the Manitoba Hockey Hall of Fame in October with Marty Murray and the guy you traded to get him, Trevor Kidd. It's such a, a small world, so it's a great honor uh, for all three of you. And it's it was a great turning point in Weeking history. And, and obviously it worked out with Spokane winning the Memorial Cup. And 
you know, I, I remember hearing about Marty Murray when I was uh, eight, 10 years old. And uh, you, you heard the stories of him deking out entire teams. And it, that really was a big turning point. And, and, and would you say that is the, uh, the biggest move you ever made with that team? Well, we made a lot of big trades here over uh, over the years, but I've always said the most significant trade we ever made was uh, was the trade to <clears throat> acquire Marty Murray. Of course, the deal was quite a bit bigger than that, but uh, Marty at that time was uh, 15 years old, playing uh, midget AAA hockey with Southwest Cougars, and just a phenomenal player. And uh, Trevor Kidd was, uh, you know, if you remember, and probably you do, uh, the first three years I was with the Wheat Kings, we we uh, i believe tied for the final playoff spot uh my first year with a real old team and uh you know i decided at that t- at that time that that wasn't uh you know i've always kind of believed that you either want to have a team that has a chance to win or you're building a team mm-hmm. that has a chance to win and uh you know clearly with an old team that finished uh, tied for the final playoff spot that wasn't uh, what I envisioned. So the next two years were uh, a complete teardown, and uh, that that third year, which was the year we traded Trevor, um, you know, he was a tremendous goaltender. He was uh, by that point uh, 18 years old. It was pretty clear that he would either be in the NHL the following season or uh, with the Canadian Olympic team, which is the, which was the route that he uh, decided to go. Spokane had a really uh, uh, really good team. Uh, Tim Speltz was a new uh, general manager there. He and I have been in uh, had been in the Western League pretty much the same amount of time, and uh, the trade came together. So for me, that was uh, the most significant trade based on what Marty meant to our franchise, based on what we were able to able to build around him. But the thing that you always got with Marty Murray was, um, you know, class, leadership. Uh, never played two bad games in a row. Um, humble, just uh, just all of the uh, the traits and values that we wanted uh, our team to embody. He uh, he represented. Kelly McCrimmon is the uh, owner of the Brandon Wheat Kings, also the GM of the Vegas Golden Knights, and he uh, joins us here on Sports and More. My name is Dean Millard, and uh, Kelly, you've uh, been to the Memorial Cup uh, many times. Uh, what do you make of the struggles for the WHL right now? 13 straight losses. The last was 2015 in the semifinal with Kelowna. Uh, they beat Quebec before losing in the final. You you were in a final hosting. Um, you, you know how tough it is. Is this just a weird uh, cyclical thing trend going on, or is there something more to it? Well, it's a really good question. Um, you know, if you look back, um, I guess, over the – the last few years, you're talking about, uh, uh, you know, Prince Albert. You're talking about, uh, you know, ourselves, Seattle, um, Swift Current, uh, that have all uh, been champions in the Western Hockey League and have uh, not had any success at the Memorial Cup. You know, there's, there's, there's probably, you know, different circumstances surrounding each of those teams. Uh, you know, when I look at, uh, at uh, the year that we won, um, I felt in hindsight that I made a mistake as a coach, we had been to the league finals in 2014-15 and lost out to uh, Leon Dreisaitl and the Kelowna Rockets uh, in the league final. So we had a very good team. We thought a team that could have been a championship team that year. So from day one of training camp that following season, the year that we did win the league championship, all we talked about was winning the league championship. So I really felt in hindsight 
when it was over that when we won in Seattle to uh, win the WHL championship, we felt a little bit like maybe uh, we'd accomplished what we set out to accomplish. So that uh, was something I think I could have done different. Uh, I can't speak for the other teams. I think there's some realities that go along with being a WHL champion. Um, you know, in our uh, case, for example, we played uh, Edmonton uh, in the first round, which is 12 hours away. We played Moose Jaw in the second round, which is uh, just under five. We played Red Deer uh, in the third round, which is 11 hours. And we played Seattle in the league finals, which obviously is uh, in the Pacific Northwest. So it's a grind to get 16 wins uh, in the WHL playoffs. And I know that uh, in PA's case, uh, you know, having to play that seventh game likely uh, hurt them because it takes one day off of your prep time. It just, uh, you know, you, you, you win late Monday night in overtime, uh, you know, Tuesday you're trying to make plans, but it's pretty hard to get over Monday and the excitement that came with that day. And then Wednesday you're traveling. So it, uh, it comes at you in a hurry. And of course they played the first game with the way that the schedule is, uh, is laid out. And the other thing that's different, but it's fit, but it's fair for all the teams. The tournament format is completely different than how, uh, any CHL team is wired. We're all wired to win uh, playoff series and, uh, uh, the Memorial Cup tournament obviously is much different, and it just uh, you know been to it many times, and just from observing it, if you can you know have something happen uh, good early and get on a little bit of a roll, it's uh, it's amazing how it can uh, can play out. And uh, you know in our case, uh, you know we weren't uh, we weren't able to do that. I guess most recently in uh, in Red Deer, uh, we uh, you know and then in Red Deer the London Knights uh, won the Memorial Cup. And, you know, this many years after the fact, people probably are aware that uh, uh, Mitch Marner, Matthew Kachuk, Christian Dvorak, Oli Julevi, uh, you know, the list goes on and on and on, are pretty darn good players. So give credit where credit is due. That was a tremendous team uh, in 2016 in Red Deer. Yeah, that top line for London was uh, was one of the better top lines uh, that I've seen in, in a long time. Um, stick or Switching to the Stanley Cup final, uh, it's so interesting you look at the last two Western Conference reps, you guys, an expansion team last year, and the Blues, who fired their coach and uh, and then were dead last in the NHL on January 3rd. Now, it's a small sample size, but does it just point out the unpredictability of the playoffs? You know, no, Nobody saw Tampa going out right away. Well, they're both incredible stories. Uh, you know, to be honest, a year ago, um, you know, we won in Winnipeg to clinch or to win the Western Conference and advance to the Cup Finals. It was, you know, almost hard to believe. And yet, if someone would have said in the second of July, the St. Louis Blue or second of uh, uh, January rather, that the St. Louis Blues were going to the Stanley Cup Final, it would have been just about equally hard to uh, uh, to envision. When you watch them playing now, they're a really good team. It's uh, uh, you know this has been well earned. Uh, you know certainly uh, early in January they weren't in a good spot, but when you look at how that team has played since uh, that time, there haven't been many teams in the league that were better. So it wasn't a surprise that they uh, beat a really good Winnipeg team. Uh, it wasn't a surprise that they advanced to the conference final. And and for me, um, San Jose had a tremendous team. St. Louis played them really tough. They played them really tough, and they're full marks for uh, for advancing to uh, to the finals against uh, Boston. But to your to your point, um, you know there there's 
it, it, it's really hard to make the playoffs. It's hard to win in the NHL. And the fact that you made the playoffs one year, uh, you know, just doesn't for a second uh, guarantee that you're making the playoffs the following year. It, it's a, it's a new race every single year that you've got to be uh, prepared for. And yet, if you can make the playoffs, uh, I think it's being shown that you've got a chance to win. And, uh, you know, Nashville went to the Stanley Cup Finals um, three years ago with a team that uh, I believe made the playoffs in the final day of the season. They were the eighth seed uh, and went to the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, you know, you look at the first round of the playoffs this year with the wild card teams that won. And, and if you look at it, those wild card teams you know, with 10 days left in the season, weren't even, weren't even locks to be playoff teams. So that level of desperation, that level of urgency that you need to bring day in, day out, that, that knot in your stomach that, uh, that keeps you sharp, uh, they were playing with that. And, and, uh, you know, maybe that in part is, uh, what uh, led those teams to you know first round victories against uh, against higher place teams? All right, lastly, Kelly, and we really appreciate your time. Um, the Blues and the Bruins now rematch of that famous Bobby Orr photo from uh, the I think it was 1970 where he's flying through the air after the goal. What do you just make of this uh, this final series between these two teams? Well, I thought about it today, and and. Uh, it's 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 a really good matchup. I mean, uh, the 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 thing that impresses me with Boston uh, and the job that uh, Don Sweeney and Bruce Cassidy with his staff have done there is they just always win. And and this year, uh, in fact, I just looked at it a couple of days ago. If people remember back to the first half of the year, the injuries that they had on their blue line, they had as many as five regulars out at any given time. Uh, you know, Bergeron, Pat, Patrice Bergeron, one of the best players in the NHL, missed an extended period of time. They didn't miss a beat. They didn't miss a beat. They just uh, uh, continually find ways to win. The coil trade, I think, was uh, uh, a real good trade for them. Uh, can't say enough for your listeners uh, in Edmonton how well uh, Jake DeBrusque has developed into just a great NHL player uh, from the little five foot seven inch bantam that he was uh playing for the south side athletic club he's uh he's a man and he's a he's a heck of a player and then the leadership that they get from those uh those top guys in chara uh and bergeron and they just uh, uh you know they've uh, they've got a good formula there they've obviously got good culture and uh, uh full marks for being in the final and st louis we uh we just touched on so you know if it's st louis that comes out uh, on top that's going to be uh, the first uh, cup in franchise history for them, which is going to be real special, and uh, you know, obviously, just listening to the, you know, to the you know networks today with the excitement that uh, is in St. Louis from uh, getting to the cup, it'll be amazing if they uh, take that next step. And Boston uh, is a city that's pretty spoiled by uh, by mm-hmm. champions in all sports, so uh, it might uh, be more of the same. But anytime you get a chance to win a championship, it's incredibly special. Kelly, thank you so much for uh, giving us some time today. Uh, best uh, c- congratulations, first of all, on being named the GM, and of course, going into the Manitoba Hockey Hall of Fame. And uh, I know you're going to do great things uh, with the uh, Vegas Golden Knights in the future, and uh, obviously, still with the Brandon Wheat Kings. Thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, thanks very much for having me, Dean. That was a really fun interview to do. Uh, thank you, of course, to Kelly McCrimmon and uh, to Eric Tosi of the Vegas Golden Knights for 
helping to set that one up. I, I've interviewed Kelly many times, uh, dating back to my broadcasting start in 1997 at CKX Television in Brandon when he was the GM, but never in that long format to uh, describe his journey and, and hear some great stories. The farming story is amazing. Who knew that farming almost prevented uh, such a great uh, managerial career that is uh, going to grow? So a uh, big thanks to Kelly. It was a lot of fun, and I look forward to more conversations uh, like that. You're going to love the conversation that we have with Olivia Chang uh, coming up in just a bit. All right, this is a segment called Best or Worst, and uh, it's pretty simple. I throw out... uh, a poll question on Twitter. Should we talk about the best of something or the worst of something? That's how we determine, and that's where we jump off at. So today's poll question at the time of this recording uh, was overwhelmingly in favor of the best of something. It was something like 76%. You can um, um, vote on uh, Twitter, at uh, DuckMullard, or we'll give out the uh, sports and more Twitter handle when we get that sorted out. So, best of a something. And uh, I decided for some reason to go with the best scalp massage I have ever received during a haircut. So, this was in Red Deer. I was working on RDTV. I uh, was probably uh, planning to go to uh, a place called Jim and Jer's after the uh, scalp massage because that was our local uh, pub for the uh, media in town. Uh, anyway, I went for, and I unfortunately I do not remember um, the woman's name who uh, was cutting my hair at the time. But the scalp massage was so good, I almost fell asleep. And and like I I do fall asleep at uh, massages. Like I have a light pressure guy, and I am uh, out, and they have to wake me up, or I wake myself up snoring. But this was so good, I almost fell asleep. I was like so relaxed, and y- you know what it's like when you you get a haircut. I. I I get my haircut at a, a barbershop. There's no scalp massages there, and, and that's fine. But when you do get a haircut and you know it's coming, it's you're, you're waiting for it because it could be so good. Like, uh, listen, my wife, Trish, gives a really good uh, scalp massage for me. But I'm sorry, Trish, it's uh, not as good as uh, the unnamed hairstylist in Red Deer. Uh, it was so good, in fact, I asked her out on a date. I'm like, you know, like, this is amazing. I, I want to get to know this person and, you know, the, all the great, wonderful things about her besides the ridiculously good scalp massage and a good haircut as well. Uh, date did not go so well. Leaned in for the goodnight kiss and uh, she leaned out of the way like she was doing the limbo. And uh, yeah, it did not go well. I found a new hairdresser, and uh, but always remember the scalp massage that got away. Uh, so if you want to participate later on, you can just reply to our uh, Twitter questions with uh, your best or worst, whatever it is. We will be doing that day. We can have some fun with it. Best scalp massage ever. Very pleased to welcome to the first edition of Sports and More a uh, woman that uh, I worked with in broadcasting and now get to watch 
on my television, and it's Olivia Chang is joining us on the program. Olivia, uh, you're in uh, South Africa right now. I really appreciate you bringing some time. It is wonderful to physically chat with you again like we used to do in the newsroom. It's been a minute, hasn't it, Dean? Since our Global Edmonton days. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. You are currently starring on the show Warrior, and uh, I I was telling you just before we got on air, Trish and I, um, who you know, my wife Trish, we uh, we're really getting into this show. Uh, the character development in the in the early episodes this has me really intrigued. Um, tell us a little bit about, without giving away too much, and I'll let you do that. Tell us a little bit about the show Warrior and your your uh, character Atoy. Sure. Well, Warrior actually has a story behind the story. Um, it's a concept that the late, great Bruce Lee imagined over 50 years ago and shopped around Hollywood um, during his lifetime. I think just before he died at age 32. And at that time, Hollywood said, you know, audiences aren't ready for a show that features an Asian man as a leading character. And it's interesting because you can actually find archive documentary footage of Bruce Lee talking about Warrior. Um, and fast forward, you know, 40 plus some years later, it was his daughter, Shannon Lee, uh, who, you know, finally was able to get the rights to her father's likeness and legacy back from the corporation that owned it after his death. And she ended up shopping, um, her father's concept out. And here we are, you know, in 2000. 19 into filming season two of warrior as season one debuts in the world. So, um, that's, that's how warrior started. And, and, and it's set in 1878 in San Francisco, Chinatown. Uh, it examines the Tong wars, uh, of the time, um, and follows this, uh, young man, uh, Assam played by Andrew Koji out of the UK, um, as he comes to America for the first time and gets caught up because of his impulsiveness, because of his bad decision-making, he gets caught up into the Tong Wars. And, you know, through his eyes, we start to meet the characters of Chinatown. And that's where my character's introduced. I play Atoy, uh, who is a fictional version of the real-life historic Madame of San Francisco Chinatown history. Um And uh, through our eyes, you navigate not just, you know, the immigration nightmares and the xenophobia and all these themes are actually eerily topical to what's happening in today's America. Um, You also end up navigating, you know, the white mainstream world where the politicians and the working Irish um, also have impact on what's going on in, in, in our world of Chinatown. So that's the world of Warrior. It is so interesting, uh, and I'm early in the show, but to see uh, some of the characters develop, and, and you know, listen, shows change and arcs change, and a character you think at the start of a series uh, might be great, might turn into something else, but I'm really interested in seeing the character development, and first off, off the charts, the, fi- the fight scenes are off the charts, and you would expect that with a uh, Bruce Lee production, but maybe people might not expect how deep the storylines can go. I think that's something that was really important to uh, the show creators. Um, I, I think, you know, you can have a show that has action for the sake of action, but I, I don't know about you, but sometimes when it's just action, it almost gets monotonous. 
like if there's no emotional impact or there's no, you know, stakes or, or investment in the character who is fighting their way out of a situation or, you know, finds himself in, in a life or death situation, then, you know, the, 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 all the kind of like wham, bam, you know, actiony moments can just get a little, um, meaningless, uh, I think what we really pride ourselves on with, with our show is that our action is very um, emotionally motivated. It moves the story along. Um, and, and yes, I, I think, you know, we're not trying to be Bruce Lee. You know, no one can be Bruce Lee. Um, but we are definitely, uh, you know, it, it, this, we are definitely, there's a, a lot of Bruce Lee-isms um, um, being channeled through through the action sequences in our show. We are chatting with Olivia Chang, uh, Edmonton-born actor starring in the show Warrior. It is uh, inspired uh, by ideas from Bruce Lee. And uh, what what is that, Olivia, like working with, uh, you know, you know not only uh, uh, Bruce Lee's family, but an idea that came straight from his head and, and a man who was so influential in uh, not just uh, the martial arts, but in in acting in general, it's it's something that I still don't think I've quite wrapped my head around. You know, because our first week in South Africa, I remember myself and my castmate Jason Tobin. We went out and we were just trying to figure out where to go out in Cape Town, and we approached this group of people who look like locals, and we introduced ourselves and we didn't say what we were there for, but we just said, Hey, we're from out of town. Like, where should we go? And they didn't look like ax murderers or anything. So, you know, we got into a car with them (laughs) and during this car ride, um, we finally, you know, kind of said, well, we're, we're here filming a, a show. They asked about it. We said, it's this Bruce Lee show called warrior. And the, the, the main person in the group, just his reaction, he just said, Oh my God, I, I got to show you something. And he pulled out his phone and he showed us that on his screensaver, he has that iconic image of Bruce Lee in the yellow tracksuit on his phone. Wow. And, cool. you know, here we are. Yeah, here we are in a country that has captured the world's imagination for overcoming apartheid, filming a Bruce Lee show about, you know, Asian apartheid in America. And we are seeing the influence that Bruce Lee has had even over here in this part of the world. I mean, he's such a global icon that I don't quite think I can, I I just, I I can't even put into words, you know, what it, what it, what it means to be part of his story or part of his legacy in some small way. Um, I think maybe when I get back to Canada or, or, or get back to, America, where maybe we're able to be a little more on the ground to see what the uh, reaction to the show has been. Maybe it'll sink in a little more then. Um, but I guess right now, because you know we're still in the throes of filming season two, I don't know. I think I think I'm in a little bit of a bubble over here. Um, but it sinks in more and more in a different way, you know, as this journey keeps progressing. Because you know, Shannon Lee was just here on on visiting the set for the first time um just a few days ago and she handed out these bruce lee shirts and you know she she showed us drawings that um her dad did to conceptualize the show and like not only could bruce lee fight and philosophize he also was an incredible artist and you know we got to see handwriting 
um, of his uh, explaining how he picked the characters' names. And um, so, you know, it, it, it just sinks in bit by bit. Uh, it's so incredible. Uh, it, like I said, the action scenes are great. Uh, the character study is awesome. And, um, you know, the the interesting thing, I'm going to tell you this, Olivia, Trish and I were watching it, and um, I don't want to give away too much, but there is a scene in the first episode where there's some nudity. And I looked at Trish and I said, this is a little different. I worked with Olivia in Red Deer. <laughs> I worked with Olivia in Edmonton. And now I'm seeing Olivia naked. And listen, it's beautifully done. But I did read where you said uh, certain projects you've done, you would have to fast forward through if you were watching with your parents. And I said to Trish, I said, it's just a little bit different seeing somebody I know in that situation. But again, it's beautifully done. What What is it like for you watching your work in general, but, uh, you know, is it being comfortable in that situation? Because I, I, I can honestly say that is something that I think takes um, a lot of courage to do, man or woman. Well, well you know, thank you very much. I, 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 I know it's got to be weird. And, and in a way, it's like I don't really bother warning anybody because I don't know who's actually going to tune in and who's, who's not going to. So if you're going to tune in, you'll figure it out on your own, you know? And, I mean, I, I visited the Global News, um, our, our Global Edmonton newsroom um, at, at, at some point, or I think I had, like, Spell on the phone or something, um, our, 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 you know, our former news director, Tim Spellacy. And, I, you know, it, I, I know it's tripped a lot of our old colleagues out because no one had warning, whether it was Marco Polo or now, you know, or now we're here. Um, but I, I'll say this. I mean, I think for anybody listening, whether if you're a woman, picture yourself in a bikini right now. And if you're a man, picture yourself in like a tight pair of Speedos, white Speedos, let's make them white Speedos. And then picture, you know, like a bunch of strangers around you and, you know, two or three cameras. And, if that makes you go, oh my God, I could never, or feel vulnerable at all. Well, yeah, that's 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 what it's like to do. There's nothing natural about doing that. Um, you know, it's 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 definitely like part of the process when non wardrobe is your wardrobe. Um, and you know, watching myself on screen, it's not like I sit there and go, yeah, wow, <laughs> you know, like like amazing, like. You know, it's 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 weird. It's as it's as weird as you you and your listeners can probably imagine it to be because everything you know, I'm I'm human, I'm self conscious about things with my body. I'm 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 I'm, I'm not someone to like street down the street. I'm actually incredibly conservative. Um and at the same time I'm also someone who is fearless when it comes to my job and fearless when it comes to acting. Um, and I'm like, okay, you know, if I understand why this is there, then like, okay, I, 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 this is what I signed up for. Let's do this. Um, and, uh, but yeah, of course it's, it's, you know, it's as weird as you might imagine. And I imagine that when I'm 80 and, you know, hopefully I have like grandchildren, maybe I'll like, you know, completely traumatize them by being like, oh, look how, <laughs> look what grandma looked like 40 years ago. Let's, you know, like, I, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely as weird as it is for you, right? As weird as it as it, as it must have been for you and Trish. Trust me, it's just as weird for me too. <laughs> for sure. But it was like I said, beautifully done, and it's it's an interesting 
a perspective. And, and when I look at some of the roles that you've played, you know, in, in, uh, Broken Trail uh, with obviously Robert Duvall, uh, you mentioned Marco Polo, now Warrior, and, and there'll be some that I miss. Uh, what I see is a lot of them are historically important stories to tell. And I think that might be important to you as well. Yeah, it's funny. You know, it's like, it's like, I, I feel like I've now worked for three major American cable networks, AMC, Netflix, and HBO. And it's interesting that all three were historical pieces um, and all three involved some piece of Asian American history. Um, you know, I have always been a history buff um, when it comes to Asian American, Asian Canadian history. Maybe it's that journalist part of me. Maybe it's that part of me that you know, has sought cultural identity or just understanding of roots and, and, and where I come from and, 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 and how I may have ended up in this country and what the experience was. And, you know, so I've always been interested in looking back to maybe understand the present and, you know, understand what I want to do, um, you know, with, 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 with my life and, and, and my purpose in the future, you know, in terms of, you know, moving my community forward or representing my community. Um, and I think it's, you know, someone, someone asked me too, like, 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 what is it with the historical stuff? And I don't know. I think sometimes the roles I take on in, in the historical realm are roles that can be very intimidating on the outset, you know, like Broken Trail was about a girl who was sold into, um, uh, sold into the sex trade and, you know, with Maylin and Marco Polo, when we meet her, she's, you know, the Song Dynasty was just like a historical institutionalized um, system of, of, of bondage for, for, for women of all classes. Um, and, you know, now I'm taking on a historical figure of Atoy, who, you know, was one of San Francisco's most notorious madams, you know, white or Chinese. Um, and so I don't know. I think I think I think one of the most important things um, any actor needs to do for their job is to not judge a character and not judge their circumstances, but just to figure out well what's you know what's what's the humanity of a person who's in a situation like this and who has these kind of kinds of choices to make. So I think I always see them as a challenge that I don't shy away from. Very cool. We are speaking with Olivia Chang, Edmonton-born actor, currently starring on the show Warrior. And uh, we first met in a newsroom in uh, Red Deer when you were doing your internship. <laughs> and what an introduction to broadcasting you received, unfortunately. With uh, you know, I remember the night of the Pine Lake tornado when you were an intern and you yes. jumped in the jumped in the vehicle with Keith, I believe it was, and were first on the scene. What a what an introduction to to that job. And and then we worked together in Edmonton again. And and you uh, went on to pursue an, an acting career, which has gone so well. What was it like making that transition from broadcasting to acting? Did you receive a lot of support? Did you receive um, any uh, uh, negative uh, feelings towards you trying to make that move? And 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 how I guess how how f- uh, fulfilling has it been? But scary at the time was it? It was incredibly scary at the time. It was a very awkward and bumpy transition. I think a lot of people assume that because I have a background in, in broadcasting that that somehow made the transition into acting easier. And I actually think it made it harder because 
you know, as you know, in, in broadcasting, when we're presenting, we're taught, you know, you have 30 seconds to convey as much information as possible. So you cut out unnecessary words, which gives us that cadence as a reporter that people think we like train to do. And they don't understand that actually, no, it's, it's, right. it's our writing that influences the way we speak because we're cutting out unnecessary words because of time limitations. But that cadence that I had as a reporter actually affected me as an actor because like I couldn't talk. I couldn't say any lines and sound like a normal human being. I always sounded like a broadcast journalist. And it took me years to break that habit. Um, it took me years just to be able to pick up a line and sound like it was, you know, off the top of my head or that I was actually like present in a scene with another human being. Um, so it was our, our, like craft wise, it actually, you know, there was a big bump for me to like, overcome and um um and what else uh uh and, and then it was just you know like it was so different because I, I was already on such a good track as a broadcast journalist that to walk away from that was really um scary and unexpected and you know like you i think i think our global edmonton family you know every everybody within that family was really important to me and, you know, helped me through some rough patches in my life. So it wasn't, it wasn't easy to, to walk away from the friendship and the, and the, and the security of having a family like that, you know, a work family like that, and then suddenly end up in a city where I knew no one. So on a personal level, it was very challenging, you know, to start in a new city, start in a brand new occupation that I had no, you know, connections or, 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 or relationships within and you know, build myself from the bottom up again, you know, and work in restaurants if I had to and like work odd jobs and, you know, use my media skills to ghost write, you know, create content. Like I was odd job queen Dean for like, I think the first eight to nine years of, 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 of my career, you know? So, um, um, I think people now, if they, if they look up an article of me, of course, they're just going to read about the highlight reel um, but the kind of behind the scenes of all that, it, it definitely tested me many a time. Um, and in fact, when warrior called, I'd actually, I, I actually, I'm done. I'm, 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 I'm done with this business because I'm, I, I, I just feel like I can't keep going because I had now entered Los Angeles and it was like an even bigger market. I felt even more like, oh my gosh, like I have to start all over again in now the United States. Like I thought, I thought it would get easier and it just got bigger, you know? So it's, it's been a journey for sure. And a, uh, a fun journey to watch. I know you got to get back to the set. So uh, I'll just ask you quickly about uh, Edmonton and uh, your parents had a big impact on creating the Edmonton Mandarin bilingual program in the Edmonton school system, which you would have benefited from and, and thousands of other children uh, probably still benefiting. That has to be something you're pretty proud of when you think of Edmonton. I'm very proud. I'm very, very proud of that because I know the impact that program had on me in terms of instilling within me um, a connection to, you know, my, 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 um, cultural identity, um, and, and, you know, just instilling within me, you know, a connection to something that was important to my parents. Um, you know, I can't imagine how scary that is for immigrant parents to come to a new country and maybe feel like 
they're going to drift further and further away from their children who, who, you know, acclimatize to a country that doesn't understand them, doesn't speak their language, you know, maybe sometimes is even hostile to their presence and how scary that might feel for them to not have a way to connect with their children and say, you know, this is what you come from. This is, this is, this is, um, these are your roots. These are your history. And I'm really glad, like my dad actually went through the phone book in Edmonton and called every Chinese name he found in the book and assembled a group of parents and found the first teacher for the um, Chinese Mandarin bilingual program. And then they together all petitioned the Edmonton Public School Board to create the Mandarin bilingual program, which my niece and nephew now actually attend. So it's like the second generation of Changs are now in the Mandarin bilingual program that my mom and dad helped start. And they are so way too humble about it. But I, I will I will brag for them. Yeah, my parents were a big part of that. That's group chatting before there was group chatting. Your dad basically invented that going through the phone book like that. Isn't that boss? Like That's my, so my, cool. my my dad, right? Like he just went through the phone book and just like called names, you know, and just found uh, awesome. parents and and yeah, so yeah, so I'm 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 I'm, I'm glad because I have had opportunities to speak Mandarin um, on screen. Um, and, and now for Warrior, it's the first time I'm speaking Cantonese on screen, which is, which is you know, my parents' um, native language. Um, so they actually foresaw that Mandarin would be the bigger Chinese language for us to learn. That's why they petitioned for Mandarin, even though they couldn't necessarily speak it themselves. Um, and, 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 you know, full disclosure, I, I don't think I'm great at, at either one, but like, <laughs> because I just, I, I, yeah, I will be, you know, I'm like, I, you know, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm not a martial artist either. I'm just really good at film food. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, but you know, at least the phonetic foundations are in my brain so that for like, movie purposes, I can pick it up, you know? Um, so, I mean, I don't think this was how my dad envisioned me using, <laughs> you know, what I learned in the Mandarin program, but Hey, <laughs> Here we are. Well, uh, they're obviously uh, proud of you no matter what, as are are we, Olivia. And uh, thank you so much for giving me some time. I know you're uh, busy with season two, and we look forward to finishing season one. And uh, hopefully uh, when you get back to Edmonton sometime, we can uh, see each other face-to-face and uh, catch up even more. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks so much, Dean. Please say hi to Trish and anyone else you talk to over at Global. Tell them I say a big hello. That was a really fun conversation. Uh, two two great conversations in episode one with two people that I've known uh, for quite a while. Uh, you know, Kelly McCrimmon going back to my uh, teenage years and, and Olivia Chang in my broadcasting years. So uh, really appreciate both of them giving me their time today and telling uh, tremendous stories. Uh, really, really enjoyed those conversations and hopefully we'll have uh, more uh, interesting conversations for you uh, from many different people in sports and more. What we're going to do is uh, have a little fun in this uh, little final segment uh, with uh, a few different uh, goofy things that I, I'm going to try to do every week. The first is we just had a great Canadian actor, Olivia Chang, on the program. We're also every week going to celebrate, in my opinion, the greatest uh, Canadian actor, 
uh, for sure comedian, and one of the top three, uh, for sure for me, top three comedians of all time uh, when it comes to comedic actors, and that's John Candy. We're going to do something called Great John Candy Characters, and we're going back to the beginning today because this is the beginning of our show, and uh, we're going to celebrate a guy by the name of, or a character rather, by the name of Johnny LaRue. And this is the the interesting thing about John Candy playing Johnny LaRue for me. First of all, he was there from the, the beginning. He was the, you know, SETV was kind of built. Uh, obvious, if you don't know, it was uh, it was uh, put together here in Edmonton at uh, what is now Global Edmonton, the station I used to work at. Uh, one of the coolest things about going down to do, uh, to anchor the sports when I worked there was passing the pictures of uh, John Candy and Bob and Doug McKenzie and, uh, or uh, yeah, yeah, Bob and Doug McKenzie. It's just, it's great. Uh, the, the characters that uh, came out of that building, one of them was Johnny LaRue. So the, the, the cool thing about John Candy for me in this one is that almost every one of his characters, whether it was TV or movies was a pretty good likable guy like Dell in planes, trains and automobiles. And, and we'll get to that in another show. Uh, I can't, can't really talk about that guy without tearing up, but he was so funny selling the uh, Daryl Strawberry earrings. But anyway, he was a great guy. Uh, great outdoors. You know, who doesn't like a guy that can eat the 96-ouncer? Johnny LaRue was a rare John Candy, bit of a shady character. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to say Johnny LaRue was a jerk, but you know, when, listen, he's not a likable guy in a lot of respects, like when he's running for council. Fine-looking family, isn't it? Well, it isn't my family. But if I had a family, they'd probably look just like that. <laughs> Aren't you a cutie? <laughs> oh! You're fired. Get out! You're disgusting, LaRue. Get out! He's going to leave you. You're all fired. And, uh, you know, he did all these uh, different cooking shows and exercise shows that he was eating a hot dog and smoking. And he was, he was just an off dude. And, and it was so funny. So uh, Johnny LaRue is the John Candy character we are celebrating today. Uh, in the future, we'll be uh, throwing this out all over social media, and you can, uh, you know, join in the conversation with, uh, you know, what your memories of what Johnny LaRue would be. Uh, feel free to uh, send them in, sportsandmorepod at gmail.com, uh, or hit us up on Twitter at Duck Millard. And, um, yeah, you can uh, share your thoughts, and we'll get them on to our next show. We're also discussing the cool of the week. Um, this is just a little thing that I'm going to bring up once a week, something that I've discovered. Now, it doesn't have to be brand new. Like, it doesn't have to be a new movie at the box office or a new album, but maybe that will be it someday. Uh, it could just be something cool um, that I have discovered that week, or maybe somebody, uh, one of our uh, Sports & More listeners, has pointed out to me. Um, if you have something you've just discovered, uh, let me know. This is not something I just discovered, but... Um, we discovered this restaurant in St. Albert called Cerdo. It's beautiful, small. Uh, they've got a, a small rooftop patio that we'll be using a lot this summer. Uh, and we used to go there. Uh, we, we used to go there just to eat. Uh, you know, their their tacos are great. I, I get the the, the uh, pork cheek, um, and uh, you know they have good happy hour specials. But then we realized that the, what was making these uh, these tacos so good, and they use cabbage instead of lettuce. And we, uh, Trish and I, my wife, have become uh, like full-on cabbage cult members now. Uh, cabbage on our tacos. Uh, we did pork belly the other day. And it was delicious. It just has a great texture. You get more nutrients from it. Just something different than lettuce. Uh, cabbage on our burgers now. Sandwiches. Like cabbage on everything. 
we are on the cabbage cult train for sure. So my cool of the week is is try some cabbage instead of lettuce at some point. You're going to really love it. And if you're in the uh, Edmonton-St. Albert area, check out Cerdo. It is a delicious, delicious place. And lastly, we're going to wrap up with uh, something called the Obscenely Rich List. I have these things called like lottery lists. Like if I won this much, I was going to do this. My mom and dad and I would do this on road trips all the time. My dad and I especially. Uh, we would do the uh, obscenely, no, just like what would you do if you won the lottery things? You know, as a kid, I was like, oh, I would buy like 10 million double bubbles. And uh, I would uh, go on the roller coaster 15,000 times or whatever. So now I have a different things for my uh, lottery list. But this is the obscenely rich list. Like think big here. Think Mark Zuckerberg, think uh, Oprah money, like obscenely rich. Warren Buffett, you know? So if I if I was on, on the obscenely rich list, this is one thing I would have. I would have a private bathroom booker. I am really having a hard time with public washrooms in big places because they smell awful. And let's, sorry, I hope that doesn't mean I'm an elitist, but I would hope everybody thinks a bad smelling bathroom is awful. So I would have a person that looks through my schedule, maybe an assistant and uh, remember I'm obscenely rich and would phone ahead to every place I'm going and make sure there is going to be a clean private washroom for me to use. Like, you know, remember Finch in uh, American Pie would not go to the washroom at school, would go home. I have a friend in high school that would skip classes to go home to go to the washroom. That's the way I'm getting. Private bathrooms are grossing me out, so I would have uh, somebody that would do a phone ahead and make sure there was a private bathroom for me to use. It was clean and uh, good, not guaranteeing I'm going to use it, uh, and we, we would be good to go. So if I was uh, obscenely rich, that's what I would have. Listen, I had a lot of fun today. This is the first of uh, many podcasts we will be doing uh, make sure you, if you're a baseball fan, check out the Prospects Baseball Show. Uh, that is launching on uh, Friday, May 24th, tomorrow. Uh, but depending on uh, when you uh, check that, you can check that out wherever you find your podcasts. Um, this has been Sports and More. Really like to thank Kelly McCrimmon, uh, owner of the Brandon Weekings, GM of the Vegas Golden Knights, and Olivia Chang, Edmonton actor, starring in Warrior, which is on uh, Cinemax. It is a ridiculously awesome show. Uh, both of them I'd like to thank for their time and joining me today and you for listening hope you'll be back tell your friends had a really fun time doing this and I look forward to doing it a lot more my name is Dean Millard this has been Sports and More Playtime is over